1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 17. Pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. Now, this is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know by now, after months and months and months, the theme of 1 John is that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not a guess. You may know that you have eternal life. There's three tests, basic tests that we have gone through, the doctrinal test. Who is Jesus? The Gnostics, remember, that's the, that's the people that John was refuting in 1 John. They believe that Jesus was spirit. He did not come in the flesh. Islam believes that he's a prophet, second to Muhammad. Hinduism believes he's a teacher, an avatar. Ever hear that word in the movies? The avatar. One who is enlightened. He has enlightened the world like Buddha and Krishna. Judaism says he's a false messiah, and Buddhism says he's a spiritual teacher like Buddha. And every one of them, you can just, just flash across your mind. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He is God that came to earth in the flesh to die for our sins. Second test is the lifestyle test. And how we live out our lives. Are we living out our lives in obedience to what Jesus taught, to his commands? That's the second test. Are we living out our lives according to what Jesus taught because we love him? And finally, the third test is the social test. Do we have love for the brethren? Do we have love for those in the church? An outflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ, a close, intimate relationship with Christ, is love for the brethren. Love for the brethren. Now, it, it's not just the brethren that we're kindred with. It is for those that are kind of obnoxious to you, <laughs> that you don't quite you know, connect with so much. God's love and God's our connection to him allows us to love those that we don't like so much. That's the difference, the hard to love. So last time we, taught, we met, we were in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 through 13, and we talked about, actually, Jesus was a real person, and he is confronting the Gnostics head-on as he finishes 1 John, that Jesus was a real person, that he had a life. Recall John was refuting, again, the Gnostics, that Jesus was spiritual and not physical. Jesus was born like any man. He lived like any man. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says this, we heard him, we saw him, we looked on him, we handled him. He started his ministry. When he started his ministry, he was baptized by John. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and started his ministry. And he died like any man. He died on the cross. He was a man. He was flesh and bone as well as God. He was the God-man. That's what John is trying to, trying to promote and trying to get the Gnostics to understand and people not to be confused by the Gnostics that he's coming in contact with. The second witness was the witness of his blood. Jesus died, truly died on the cross for our sins. Uh, remember, he, he died, we went through this last time, he was our sin bearer. But he also, as well as bearing all of our sins, past, present, and future, remember, he defeated Satan on the cross. 1 John 3.8, the Son of Man was manifested 
to destroy the works of the devil. Remember that Satan, what, did he come, what does he want to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. And the cross put him to death. There will be a finality with that when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom. Can't wait. I don't know how you feel about that. I can't wait until Jesus establishes his kingdom and this whole thing has changed. And then finally, the third witness that we have is the Holy Spirit. So we have the, the spirit that he was actually a living person, that he died like a living person. And the third is the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus as walking on this earth as the Savior of all mankind. He, he says in John 15, 26, the Spirit will testify of me. 1 John 5 says, there's a Spirit who bears witness of me. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, who is a real person, a real person, a real entity. The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. Finally, these three witnesses, his life, his death, the Holy Spirit, these witnesses are that you may know that you have eternal life. That you, it's not a guess, you may know. 1 John 5.13. And, that, and when, how you know is this, he who has the Son has life. And the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. For those who believe, for those in right relationship with God, for those who know that they know that they know that they have eternal life, God has given all of us who are believers a great treasure. And that great treasure is a communication tool called prayer. And we must know this. Know that we can have confidence in prayer. We can have confidence in prayer. This week, we're going to be talking about pray with confidence. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray that you will speak through me words of truth to your people. Father, we need to hear from you today. Some people have come into this room hurting. Some people have come in this room just blah. And some people have come into this room feeling pretty good. We're all at different points at different times. Speak to each one of us where we are today. Each one of us need to hear from you. Oh, Father, please speak to us through your word today, things you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, what is prayer? We must realize that there are several words in the New Testament for prayer, but the one that I want to focus on here is prosuchki. Prosuchki. The word pro means this. It carries the meaning of close, upfront, intimate contact with someone. Close, intimate contact. Yuchi means wish, desire, prayer, a vow. And it also means surrender and sacrifice. Interesting. Surrender and sacrifice is part of prayer. Prayer is not mechanical. It's not something we just do by rote. It's a relationship. You don't have a sit down with your wife and tell her 25 million times a day, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. As you're reading the paper, I love you, I love you. I love you. Just wrote mechanical. I love you. I love you. I love you. What is she going to think? That is that you don't really care about me. What you have to do is look at her right between the eyes and with your eyes to her eyes and your heart to her heart and your spirit to her spirit say, I love you. And that's connecting. This over and over and over thing is not connecting. So let me, let me just share this with you. There's a, prayer is a place of surrender my will to God's will, and prayer is a place of sacrifice. 
my life for God's will. My life for God's will. Now, I want you to realize, I think you all realize what I'm going to say here momentarily, but we live in a world that is filled with stress. And I would suggest to you that we are living, I've said this many times, that we are living in probably the greatest stressed culture that has ever existed on earth. Now, granted, people had to fight for their food and that sort of thing years ago, but no one has had inputs like we have 24-7 that affects our spirits. We are living in a world of stress filled with uncertainty because of all the information that we're getting. And it's changing, and it's changing, and it's changing. And I'll suggest to you it's not changing for the better. It is filled with the unknown. And it's good to know this. God has given us, his people, those who believe in him in right relation, the ability to communicate with him, to talk with him, to, give, to share our desires with him, our emotions with him, to have fellowship with him. It's amazing. I suggest to you this. It is amazing that the God of heaven would want to talk to us. It is an astounding thing. Now, I don't know how you look at yourself, but oftentimes people will say, I'm a gnat, I'm an ant, I'm no good, I'm just a crummy sinner. Erase, erase, erase. Granted, you are a lot of pathetic things. You are depraved, okay? <laughs> but God views you differently than what you are. He views you as he views his son. Remember, his righteousness is imputed to you. It's credited to you. So you must realize that you are his child. You are sons and daughters of the living God. You are the bride of Christ. And God loves his bride. He loves his bride. So be careful how you look at yourself. It's amazing that one so great would want to have fellowship with us, but he does. And man, is, he, wants to have, he wants to have fellowship for a specific reason, because mankind is created in the image of God. Remember, the, 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 the word is imago Dei, the image of God. Sounds fancy, but the image of God encompasses several things, but two things that, that, that are germane to us in this conversation is this. The image of God, God is communicative, and God is relational. And he has made us communicative, and he has made us relational with one another and with him. He wants to have a relationship and communicate with us, and a prayer is that way that which we do it. Prayer, in a sense, is, is our lifeline to God, is our lifeline to God. Prayer knits my heart to God's heart. Prayer is a place where God's will becomes my will. Let me say that again. Prayer is a place where God's will becomes my will. Not the opposite. Not the opposite. I'm not manipulating God by my prayers. We can't. We can't. You'll see that momentarily. Father knows best. My Father knows all about me, and he will do what is best for me. There are many aspects of prayer. Just a few of them are pouring out our soul to God, 1 Samuel 1.15. Crying out to heaven, Second Chronicles 32.50. Drawing near to God, kneeling before God, praising God, thanking God, making our requests to God, seeking guidance from God, seeking comfort from God. There's all kinds of aspects. But most of all, it is becoming one with God. Becoming one with God. More, way more than, than a rote list of requests. It's way more than that. It's okay to have a request and bring them to God. But it's way more than that. It's my heart, my spirit to his spirit. It's very intimate. Prayer is dynamic, it is powerful, and it is an offensive weapon. We see in 
in praying in the Spirit in Ephesians 6.18. After the sword of the Spirit, he says, then pray in the Spirit. It simply means pray in line with the Holy Spirit. And we are to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. In other words, pray without ceasing. I have God involved in all of my day. Now, he's not just sequestered out to, to, to the three minutes I, that I say a prayer and I go my way and forget God. Oh, no. We are to put him as frontlets. What does the Shema say in Deuteronomy chapter 6? We put God as frontlets before our eyes. We bind him on our, on our being. He's part of everything that we are. We take him through every part of our day. Prayer is my heart to God's heart. I want to talk to you about something called perfunctory prayer. Perfunctory. Interesting word. Little effort. Routine. Dutiful. Superficial. Habitual. Vain repetition prayer. Many words repeated over and over, almost like a chant. Almost like a chant. Little or no thought. No spirit-to-spirit connection. Folks, this is not prayer. This is not prayer. Jesus' warning in Matthew 6, 7 is this, Do not pray in vain repetition as the heathen. Do they think they will be heard for their many prayers? Now, with that stated, I want to share with you a reality. And I think that you have experienced this. We believe that God answers prayer. But you have experienced where God, you're wondering, where is he? Why were the heavens silent? Why haven't I heard? We've, we've heard, we've been there. I don't know what your experience with prayer is, but Stephen Cole gives an honest response to this question. His experience may resonate with you and may surprise you. May surprise you. I get a lot of stuff from Stephen Cole. He's pretty solid on most things. But I'm not in wholly in agreement with him on this one. Listen to what he says. I, I am in some of it, but not all of it. I think you'll see. I can't gloss over the tremendous difficulty that our text creates for my prayer life. It is simply not true to my experience. John, who is echoing here the repeated promises of Jesus, says that if, if we ask anything according to God's will, he will answer favorably, and no is not an acceptable answer. I would be disagreeing with him on that. Okay? Uh, but in this context, and this is what we're going through here today, that's what he's referring to here, praying in the will of God. It must be yes every time. Over the years, he says, my prayer batting average is pretty low. I've prayed for salvation of people, restoration of sinning Christians. I prayed for reconciliation of, of, of Christians that in marriages or fighting with one another. And then he says this statement. Some people try to get God off the hook by saying he gives people free will. Now, I think that God does give people free will. And he goes on to make this statement, which is kind of amazing. But if, if God cannot subdue a sinful person's will, then he can't do anything, exclamation point. That means that sinful man, not God, is sovereign, and it means that prayer is useless and impotent. Now, he does go on to say that he must be off in his thinking, because he does believe that God answers prayer. But this is his supposition, this is his thought, that free will has nothing to do with people not being saved, marriages not being restored, reconciling broken relationships, people being healed, or whatever. I mean, people, there is free will that humans can exert. Humans can exert. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says. 
Listen to what he says to give us some balance with this. God sovereignly, and if you've been with me long, you've heard this before, so it'll be familiar to you. God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice, and that man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not which choice the man should make, but that he was free to make the choice. If in his absolute freedom God has willed to give man limited freedom, who is there to stay his hand or say, what doest thou? Man's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign would not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. He would be afraid to do so. Now let's bring some balance into this. Does God sovereignly intervene into people's lives? I would say yes. Sometimes he just enters into it, and you don't know what in the world happened, but he just did it. He just did it. But also, does he give us free will? Yes. There is a balance here in the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And when you get this out of balance, then you have a skewed view of what the Bible is really saying. Okay? Be a biblicist. Be a biblicist. That's what we want to have. Now, can we, now with that stated, now you see the struggle that Stephen Cole has, and I bet you that everyone in here has experienced that at some point. God, I've been praying so long. Why hasn't this happened? Oh, God, why hasn't this happened? Look at my job, and you're going to see this a couple times. My job is to believe. My job is by faith to keep believing. My job is to say, God, intervene in this situation. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. And that is, that is what I am to do. God's job is to do what he knows to do because he has all knowledge. He has all knowledge. So can we really have confidence in prayer? I would say a resounding, resounding yes. Let's talk about praying with confidence. I want you to put this in your mind. Praying with confidence, overcoming disappointment in prayer. Just put that in your mind. Because every one of us, I think, has experienced disappointment in prayer. Why haven't you intervened, God? What is going on in this situation, God? That's, a, that's an honest question. That's an honest question. In verse 14 and 15, hear this. First and foremost, we pray with confidence in him, in him, in God. Verse 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to, uh-oh, his will, is that a qualifier? His will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, a little Greek, a little Greek, which I know a little itsy-bitsy Greek, okay? But this isn't actually Greek. It's just grammar, okay? But anyway, hear this. Don't miss the two ifs. The first if is this. If we ask according to his will, that is a third-class condition. It means it, it doesn't mean sense. It is potential. It is potential action. It is potential action. It remains to be seen. But the second if is this. And if we know he hears us, oh, why do we know he hears us? Because we've asked according to his 
will. Not my will, according to his will. My heart to his heart. My heart to his heart. Remember, God knows your thoughts. He knows where you are. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows your issue, and he is intimately related to you and cares for you. Never believe, never think that God has abandoned me or he doesn't care because the heavens are silent. Never believe that. So pray with confidence in him. That's the first thing. Confidence is this. It's the word parisia, and we've seen this word before, and you're going to recognize it in just a minute. It's the freedom to say all that is on one's mind, all that one is thinking. It's unwaveringly, fearless, unhesitating confidence of faith in communion with God. It is confidence in God. I pray with confidence in God that he will intervene in this situation. Our confidence is in him. Look, at our confidence is not in our faith creating something we want. Let me say that again. Our confidence is not in our faith achieving or, or, or making something happen that we want to have happen. Our faith is in God, not in my wisdom, not in what I think should happen. And believe me, I have a whole bunch of I think should happen in this situation, and so do you. Knowing that God has all the information, sees everything clearly. Remember, we see how, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. I don't have all the information. He is outside of time, knows the beginning, knows the end, knows how the whole thing is going to play out, knows all the angles of it. My job is this. In life stuff, all the stuff that comes into our lives, and there's plenty of it, Hebrews 4.16 is, is a great verse. And this is where you heard the word parisia before. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, parisia, confidently to say whatever is on your mind, not that God is going to squash you because you have some feelings that might not be congruent with what he's thinking at that moment, because we come faulty. We can come sometimes to God and go, God, I don't understand one bit of what is happening here. And he's not going to squash you for that. Remember, David did it all the time in the Psalms. But by the end of the Psalm, he comes to his senses. So by the end of your prayer, come to your senses. That's what you want to do. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what we're looking for. Our confidence is in him. Secondly, we pray with confidence according to his will. Now, this is a key point. A key point. Prayer changes me to align my will with his will. This is a must. This is an essential qualifier. A.T. Robertson, a Greek scholar, says this. This is the secret of prayer, even in the case of Jesus himself. Remember in the disciples' prayer, which we often call the Lord's Prayer? We see in that, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. In Matthew 26, 39, we just went through this last week in Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will, Father. He gave us examples. In Hebrews 10, 9, that I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will. This is Jesus, the Father. I've come to do your will, O God. That's the same for us. This is not so in many Christian circles, folks. In many Christian circles, people will say, don't, don't say, 
if it's your will, because that's demonstrating a lack of faith. They will say your answers are limited by your lack of faith. Faith creates your reality. Visualize what you want. Claim what you want, and it's yours. Do, and a question I have for you is, do you really know what you want in most situations? Do you really know? As, as pitiful as we are, no. Uh, license to name it and claim it. Some, just a couple verses that people use. If you would, turn back to Matthew chapter 17. Now, the context is that the guys have been sent out, and God has given, Jesus has given them authority to heal and cast out demons and, and that sort of thing. And they've come back, and they are saying, hey, we ran into this guy, we couldn't cast out the demons. So in verse 20, it says this, And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith at the mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Who's the you? It's the disciples. This is something directly, directly pointing to them. Just turn to the right, just a few pages, to Matthew 21. You're going to see another one that is very similar. Jesus curses the fig tree in Matthew 21, verse 20, 21, 21, 21. And, the, and, and they're wondering what this is all about. How did the fig tree wither away so quickly? And in verse 21, so Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt. Now, I, w I would suggest to you, when we pray, we want to pray without doubting. We want to pray believing that God is going to enter that situation. That's, that's our job. That's our part in this whole process. So with that stated, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do, do what was done to this fig tree, but also say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And again, he's talking to his disciples. Now, there's a point here. A point here. These words are directed to the disciples, not the multitudes. That's number one. And these, the disciples would be doing, what would they be doing? Signs and wonders and miracles and casting out demons to validate that they were with Messiah, that they were with Jesus. Jesus was leaving, and they had to get their act together and believe that God had, had given him them this power to do this. He, would, he, he was teaching, you guys need to get this down. I'm going to be leaving. Know what, what you've been given. So let us examine a few other scriptures that are kind of controversial that say we, have, we can pray with confidence in him. Now, if you would, turn to John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Now, this one is oftentimes used to say we can just pray and believe and get whatever we want. Now, the context is here, remember? John chapter 14, Jesus is, is actually hours before the cross. This is the last day, okay? And he's told them not to worry about anything. And then Thomas says, where are you going? How do we know how to get there? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's giving him a pep talk. And then Philip says, oh, he opens, he, he speaks. And he says, show us the Father, that is sufficient. He says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says, if you just believe the works that I've done, that the Father has sent me. And in verse 12, he says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, he who believes in, remember, put your trust in, commit to, follow, not just mental assent. He who believes in me, the work that I do, he will do also. Now, that's a huge promise. That's a huge promise. 
And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now, the, now the word works is ergon, and it means physical labor, toil, effort to be your occupation, that sort of thing. And I want to suggest to you that on the first day of Pentecost, what was the greatest work that was done? Peter spoke, and 3,000 were entered to the church right at the outset. Greater works of salvation. Because in John 6.29, what is the work of God? To believe in him whom he sent. Then he goes on to say, Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that's a key, in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Key point here. Whatever you ask in my name. What's in my name? It's in line with Jesus. It's in line with his character, union with Jesus, in the will of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. If this is a prayer to get whatever you want, you never see Jesus praying for a brand new chariot. Oh, if I just had a chariot, then I could get to this town quicker and this town quicker. You know how people pray for jets? Send money, send your seed money for my jet so I can travel quicker. Jesus never prayed for a quicker chariot. He never prayed for a gold chariot, nor did he pray for a big old stallion horses to pull him along, nor did he pray to have some sort of home to go to for his conference center so he could put on big things. He never prayed for that, did he? No, that wasn't what he prayed for. He didn't what he prayed for. What was Jesus' focus? To do the will of the Father. And it's the same with us today. Just turn to the right to John 15, 7. Now, the context here is the vine and the branches and producing fruit. Producing fruit is evidence, gives, gives credence that you're a genuine Christian. It's something that we all want to do, produce fruit. If you abide in me, now watch the qualifier. If, if, again, that's a, that's a third class, that's a potential action. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, oh, that you bear much fruit, not that you get a new car, not that you get a new Rolex. Okay, you get the picture. Because we often see in Christendom these, these verses used out of context to get whatever you want. He's talking about something very different here. So you will be my disciples. So if you abide in me, this is the key, if you abide in my words, and, and my words abide in you, your desires, I will suggest, will be Jesus' desires. Your desires will be Jesus' desires. A couple more. 1 John chapter 3, 21. We just went this, through this a few weeks ago. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Now, there's a couple qualifiers in this one. Beloved, if our heart's heart does not condemn us. Oh, what is that if? It's not sense. So it begins as a third class, remains to be seen, potential action. We have to have our hearts right. If our hearts do not condemn, does not condemn us, we have confidence, confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Our hearts are right. And because we keep his commandments, which is an evidence that my heart is right. I'm keeping his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So, so. Whatever we ask, we receive, if our hearts do not condemn us, 
We're in right relationship with Jesus. And if we keep his commands, we have a right heart. If I am close to Jesus, my request will be in line with Jesus' will. You can always tell when you're in the flesh is when you ask for flesh stuff. Okay? God is not a prude. God is not trying to keep everything from you, and he's not stingy in any way, shape, or form. He's very giving, and he will take care of you. You can be assured of that. And it's okay to have things as long as things don't have you. That's the point. That's the point. So we keep his commandments, demonstrates a close relationship with Jesus. We're praying in the line of Jesus. Just one more. Psalm 37, 3 through 5. Most people are familiar with this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Just delight your little heart. Oh, pitter-patter. Little heart, be delighted. Watch how it starts here in verse 3. Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Point number one. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. What? Does every Jew want more than anything? Dwell in the land, and the land be prosperous. Feed on its faithfulness. Be safe. Then he says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What do you think the desires of these people's heart is? To dwell in the land in safety. That is what their desire is. And then he says this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. This is God's will. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. That's his will. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret. That's his will for us. Because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. And finally, cease from anger. That's his will. And forsake wrath and do not fret. That is his will. It only causes harm. Delighting myself in the Lord, key is this. If I delight in God, my desires will be in line with his will. With his will, not my will. So that brings us to our verse today in John 5, 14, where it says this. And the key to that one, again, is according to his will. According to his will, not my will. Which is oftentimes different than our will. In all of the above illustration, prayer changes me. Prayer brings me in line with the will of God. Prayer changes me. I want to to share with you a prayer that a Confederate soldier made. And see if this might not resonate with you. He said this, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. Sounds like a good thing to ask for, doesn't it? I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask God for health, that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity, that I might do better things. I ask for riches, that I may be happy. I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I ask for power, that I might have the praise of men. And I was given weakness, that I might feel the need of God. I ask for all things, that I might enjoy life. Doesn't God just want you to be happy, happy, happy? Isn't that what he wants? I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. I am among all men most richly blessed. 
I didn't get what I wanted. I got what God wanted for me, and I was richly blessed. Oh, how different God's will is than our will. Now, let's make a little application here. Well, first of all, just be sure, may our prayers be in line with Jesus. His will, His way, His time, because He knows best. Remember, it's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. We keep praying, we keep praying, and we want God to do something right now. We're almost like little babies. I want you to do it right now, God. I mean it right now. I, no, that isn't how it works. It's his time, his will, his way, and our job is to continue to believe. Now, I can't tell you how important it is. Don't doubt. Believe by faith that God is going to enter into it. It might not turn out the way that you think it should turn out. But he knows all things, beginning from the end, and he does give people the freedom to resist. He can intervene if he wants to, but most of the time, people have the freedom to, to thumb their nose. That's, that's tragic. Let's make a little application here. When you are confused, happens a lot. When you're frustrated, you can't believe this is happening to me, and you go through, why God, why God, why God? Everybody in here has probably been to that point, okay? And the heavens are silent. You have entered the realm of the I don't understand. I don't understand realm. Now, when you're in the I don't understand realm, remember two things. Number one, remember to trust God knows. Settle this in your mind. Trust God knows right where you're at. God hears you. God knows what right where you're at. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. Whenever you're not understanding what God is doing, remember how big he is and how small we are. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's not confusing, but a lot of people confuse it. Psalm 50, 21 says this. You thought I was altogether like you. A lot of people think that God's just a little bit bigger than them. And he's got a little more figured out than us, just a little bit, because I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure most of this stuff out. If God would just listen to me, this would all be worked out right. Really? That's all I got to say. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Most people are familiar with this. For as far as the heavens are higher than the earth. Now, how high is that? We have the, almost the infinitude of space. It does have an ending, but it is expansive. Okay? It is huge. Billions of light years. We can't imagine. That's how great God is above us. There's no comparison. It's not like us to an ant. That doesn't compare. Okay? The distance is far greater. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is other world focused, not this world. He gives us things to make it through this world. He loves us. He does take care of us. But it's more other world focus than this world focus. So, trust God knows where you're at. Settle this in your mind. Secondly, and let this resonate inside your being. Jesus is enough in any situation. Just say that with me. Jesus is enough in any situation. That is the truth. When you get into the I don't understand realm, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Now, in context, this is spoken to a nation, the nation of Israel. And this is talking to them as they're going through the, the stuff that they're going through. 
but you can extrapolate from this something for you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by your name and you are mine. Isn't that intimacy? Intimacy with his, see, Israel is called the wife of Jehovah. We are called the bride of Christ. God has an intimacy with his people. He has an intimacy with his people. When you, and then watch this, and this is accelerating. This is accelerating. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. That's the perils of life. I will be with you. Now, who's going to be with you? God will be with you when you pass through the perils. And watch the next one, natural disaster. And through rivers, they will not overflow you. It's getting worse. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? Because he is with you. And then finally, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am with you. Who is with you through it all? Jesus. Jesus is enough in any situation. Jesus is enough. Pray with confidence. I will never, ever, he says this five times, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but it's in Hebrews uh, 13.5, I'll never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise to us. My confidence is in God. And it does not matter what something looks like, sounds like, smells like, seems like, whatever thing you want to put on that, I am trusting God. What, does, what, what, is, what is the saying of Richard Farmer? I will trust in the Lord until I die. That is where I'm going to put my trust. Praying with confidence is our theme, and we must pray with confidence for our sinning brothers. I love this because it's all of us. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now, for 2,000 years, this is another controversial one, okay? People have been wondering, what exactly does this mean? Well, I will try to elucidate. I'll try to make this clear. Starting out, at some point, remember this, we will be the one praying for the brother or sister, or we'll be the one prayed for. Don't think of yourself so highly. I mean, we all are on both sides of this paradigm. Someone prayed for you prior to your salvation, and someone prayed for you after your salvation that you would get your act together. Didn't they? They sure did. What does John not say here? Let this be really clear. Maybe they should get the megaphone out for this one. If you see your brother sinning, he does not say this, if you see your brother sinning, Go tell your pastor. He doesn't say that, okay? <laughs> Nor call your friends on the hotline, the gossip hotline, and say, oh, pray for Freddie, pray for Sammy, pray for Alice, pray for Billy. Oh, they got so many, and I, but don't tell anybody, but we got, you pray for them. You don't get on the gossip hotline. There's a time for corporate prayer, but be discerning, okay? Step number one. First of all, realize that anyone, anyone is you. You pray and you seek God, that the Lord may lead them to repentance and restore fellowship with him. That's what they want. Repent, restore fellowship. Step number two, if God leads, speak to the brother. But before we speak to the brother or sister, 
Pray to God about that brother or sister. Don't just go, oh, be all insulted and go rushing into this thing. Be discerning. Take some time. And then finally, that's step three, be discerning. Know when to speak and when to be silent. Only God can change a wayward heart. We can't do it. All the bantering in the world will not accomplish this. There is a time to make an intervention. There is a time to give the truth and make a point. But we can't beg, borrow, steal, plead, do what we do as humans to coerce someone into changing. That is the work of God in the heart of the person. He can use us, but be used wisely and be discerning. Now, just an FYI, for Christians engaged in known willful sin, sin will hinder your prayers. You're walking around, you're doing something and saying, oh, God never answers my prayer. Well, think about it. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Selfishness hinders prayers. James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive because, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And thirdly, pride hinders prayer. In Luke 18, 14, you have the Pharisee that's praying. And he actually says this, thank you that I am not like that other guy over there, that tax collector, that I'm not like him. Thank you that I am so upright and, oh, look at me, God, how great I am. Then the tax collector's prayer is this, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, who was forgiven? The tax collector. Sin, selfishness, pride are the nemesis, are the enemy of every non-repentant Christian. Our job is to pray for them. Pray for them. Take the scales off, God. Help them to see the truth. And then some are sick from their sin. I'm not saying that every illness or every sickness is from sin. But we know that from Scripture, in James 5, 15, and 16, and in 1 Corinthians 11 and 30, some people are sick and even die because of their sin. Now, that would be the truth. How about a sin leading to death? This is the controversy. Well, if you're, if you're talking about a believer, a believer has really received Jesus Christ as their Savior, there's a point where you, the person's going to continue in their sin, and God says, enough, enough. If a believer lives in persistent sin, they may experience early physical death. It does, it does suggest that. How about for the unbeliever? Well, ultimately, the greatest sin unto death is the final revelation of Christ that is rejected. Rejected, 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 year after year, time after time, time after time. Persistent rejection of God's Son Jesus, of the light they receive, over and over and over results in spiritual death, the worst of the worst. <laughs> Hebrews 10.26 gave us some insight into this. I don't know if you remember this verse, but I'll read it to you. And remember, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews to teach the Hebrews not to be Hebrews. That's Donald Barnhouse, remember? And he's teaching these people, don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the sacrificial system to think that that's going to warrant you righteousness before God. He says this, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. This is someone that's heard about Jesus, has the truth about Jesus, and says, I want to go my own way. They wanted to go back to their sacrificial system. Verse 27 says, But a certain fearful expectation of judgment 
and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And in verse 29, he makes these words. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? You do that, you got problems. Our job, now hear this, our job is this, keep praying and leave the results to God. For we do not know where someone is when someone has gone too far. We don't, we're not in, we don't have purview to know that type of thing. Our job is to keep praying. Now maybe the Spirit just says to you, stop. Okay, be obedient. But pray and keep praying. Remember, God's mercy is enormous. Let me say this again. God's mercy is enormous. We tend to give up way before he does. Remember that. We give up way before he does. In conclusion, pray with confidence. Know that prayer is my heart to God's heart. It's fellowship, communing with God, like talking to a friend. It's talking to a friend, my spirit. Be real. Be real in your prayer. He hears you. He wants community with you. He wants fellowship with you. Be real. And you can be honest with him. When you're feeling down, you're feeling bad, just be real with him. He already knows. Not hiding anything from him. And secondly, know that prayer is a place of surrender. Surrendering my will to God's will. That is so important. And know that prayer is confidence in God. Not confidence in me. Not confidence in my faith to create something. But my confidence that my God will do what is right in the situation. And know that prayer is required for the sinning brother or sister. Pray for them and keep praying and don't give up. And know that prayer, above all, changes me, changes me, changes my perspective. I can confidently say, not my will, but your will. Brings me in line with God. One more picture. Put Put it in your minds that will help us with this. Oswald Chambers says this, to say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying prayer changes me and then I change things, and that's when you're praying in the will of God. God has established things so that prayer, on the basis of redemption, changes the way a person looks at things. Changes us. I want to close you with with some final words from Stephen Cole talking about what happens to a compromised person and how the person starts out and how they often end up. Listen to his words here. It is a fact of experience, that there are two kinds of sinners. Now, he's just giving an example here, okay? A sinner is a sinner. Okay, we know that. But he's given us an example of how people process. On the one hand, there is a man who, who may be said to sit against his will. Okay? Again, this is just an illustration. He sins because he is swept away by passion or desire, which at the moment is too strong for him. His sin is not so much a matter of choice as of compulsion which he is not able to resist. On the other hand, there is the man who sins deliberately, of set purpose, taking his own way, although well aware that it is wrong. Now, these two men began by being the same man. It is the experience of every man that the first time that he does a wrong thing, he does it with shrinking and with fear, and after he has done it, he feels grief, remorse, and regret. But if he allows himself again and again to flirt with temptation, and to fall. On each occasion, the sin becomes easier 
and he thinks he escapes the consequences. On each occasion, the self-disgust and remorse and the regret become less and less. And in the end, he reaches a state when he can sin, when he can sin without a tremor. It is precisely at that moment that the sin is one which leads to death. So long as a man in his heart of hearts hates sin and hates himself for sinning, so long as he knows that he is sinning, he's not making any excuses. He is never beyond repentance and therefore never beyond forgiveness. God can break through, folks, in any situation. Don't give up. You never know what God will do. You never know. And you never know when he's going to do it, and you never know what a difference a day will make when it could look so bad on one moment, and then the light can come the next day. It's coming. Believe. You never know. There's always hope. As long as there is life, there is hope. Keep praying, keep praying, keep believing until things change or you're no longer here. That is our job. Pray with confidence and never, ever, ever, what? Ever give up. Don't give up. Pray with confidence in him. And then may God's will be done. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, I believe you've spoken to each one of us. We have all heard something that has perked our interest. And Lord, if this is some area you're dealing with us in, help us to hear you. And that here involves heed. May we heed what you are speaking to us, what you're telling us. And may we do whatever you're telling us to do. Course changes. Life changes. Dabbling in sin. Lord, put those things away. Let us start anew. Forgetting what is behind, strain towards what is ahead. Let's press on and become greater and greater servants of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that is given each one of us to be overcomers. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.